We talked about being rich and the fact that you are rich, whether you like to admit it or not, you are rich. But what happens is you tend to define what it means to be rich by all kinds of different standards. Usually none of them are God's. And so even though you are very rich in your life and God has provided you with a lot, you feel poor in a lot of different areas or you feel like you don't have enough or you feel like you should have more and some of that comes from the fact that ingrained in you is really a worldly definition of greed does, it, does anybody know what greed is have any of you ever felt greedy before oh some of y'all are lying now here's here's how you battle greediness right here's how you battle greediness through generosity now, here's the problem with generosity. We can all define, define generosity pretty much in our own way. Like, for instance, for some people, if you stop at a person holding a cardboard sign and you give them $1, you would call yourself generous, right? Pretty good definition. Uh, for other people, if you stop and give a tourist directions, you know, maybe you see someone who's lost you may define yourself as generous. Some people, uh, it may be something as simple as um, putting an extra $5 bill in the church plate, which, you know, is generous, right? Or, or for others of you, it may be as simple as uh, picking up somebody's soda who stands behind you in line. Here's the problem with that. Your level of generosity and my level of generosity can be completely different. And we really define our generosity not by how much we do or how much of a good deed we can provide. Truthfully, usually we define our generosity based on how much of our money we can let go of. Are you with me? And so really it doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It has to do with how much we let go of what is ours, right? So what we define as generosity is really just another form of greed. Are you following me? A little bit? All right, we're going to get there. <clears throat> I'd like you to pick up your money, your play money. Do this with your play money. Unless you want to use your real money today. Avery, would you like to use your real money? Come up here in front of everyone. You don't have any. Neither do I. That's why I buy the fake stuff. <laughs> All right, so here's what I would like you to do. On your fake money... I would like for you to tear off of this dollar or five or ten, twenty, hundred, whatever you got this morning. Tear off the part of that that you think would make you a generous giver. How much of this dollar in your hand would make you a generous giver? Now here's the thing. Here's, here's what I want to do before you do that. I want you to define it for yourself realistically. I don't want you to go, well, here's my five, and I am at church. The pastor may see me, so I think it's this much. <laughs> right? I don't want you to do that. I want you to be realistic. How much of your dollar could you give away today, this morning, and people would look at you, or you would look at yourself and say, I'm a generous giver. Go ahead. I'll give you a minute.
Everybody got there? Getting there? All right. Here we go. Now I'm not going to show. I'm not going to ask you to show. But here's step two. I want you to take what is left. All right. Take what is left. That little piece you just ripped off, or big piece, or maybe the whole thing for some of you. I don't know. That you that you said I can do all of this. Right. Here's what I want you to do now. That little piece that's left. Okay. Take that. This, or for some of you, maybe it's a big piece. This is now your paycheck. Right? Some of you get paid every week. Some of you are like me. You get paid every other week. Some of you get paid once a month. This is now your paycheck. So here's what I would like you to do. Your entire paycheck, rip off the part of that paycheck that you feel makes you a generous giver. Okay? Just go ahead and rip off what percentage. If you are a 10 percenter like that, it'd probably be, I don't know, something like that. Right? Some of you who tithe 50% of your check, I haven't met you yet. (laughs) But I would like to. Go ahead, rip off that part of your paycheck that you think makes you a generous giver. Now some of you are starting to figure out already where we're going today. Right? Right? And if you haven't figured it out, just hang on. We're going to get there. But here's what happens. We become arrogant. We talked about this last week. We become arrogant in our riches. And we begin to depend on our money and live our life based upon our money. Right? The more money we have, the happier we are at life. The less money we have, the less happy we are with life. You follow me? Now, for some of you, you don't fit in here, okay? Because you may have already developed a a level of generosity in your life that you're starting to understand some of the principles that we're talking about here, right? So some of these things may or may not hit home to you. But for the majority of us, statistics say, and and you can look at, at any church's Uh, numbers and giving and see that the majority of us as a church, if we really knew and understood generosity and what Christ was trying to teach us in giving, it would make a world of difference. And that's exactly what I mean to say there. It would change the world, the influence that the church could have on poverty, the influence that the church can have on children who don't have clothes, on children who can't afford supplies for school. But see, what happens is we in the church, we, we sometimes typically gain the funds, and what do we do with those? We get bigger buildings, right? Or we get buildings that are the exact same size, pretty much. But then we build parking lots, right? And, and then we start to dream about the gym, and we start to dream about all this other stuff that goes along with that. Well, what happened... Well, I was in New Orleans, and this is part of what I want to talk to you about, what I was telling you about last week. What happened when I was in New Orleans is I began to really feel like God was telling me that our vision had started to uh, curve a little bit, right? And, and, and what we had begun to dream about was 
that next big building or, or that next uh, big thing that is a part of our church and really start to lose a little bit of the vision of how One Love Church started. So we have a project this year, something that we're going to do that I'm going to tell you right now as a little church who doesn't bring in much tithe, it's really going to stretch us. But it's also going to bless a nonprofit ministry in a crazy way, right? But before we get there, let's keep doing this. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. There will be no slides today because I was lazy this week. Just going to be honest. Just going to be honest. Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. All right, we're, at, we're off to a good start, right? How many of you find your lives very productive? Okay, we're, start, we're starting, right? Uh, some of us think rich people are very productive people, right? You have to do things in order to bring in the cash, right? The, the stacks, as my son would say. You got you to gotta work to bring those things in. The people who lay on the couch every day and wonder why their bank account's not growing, right? Most of us want to smack and say, it's because you got to go work. you got to go do things. Now, here's what happens. Verse 17. So he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Now, what does that mean, I have no place to store my crops? That doesn't mean that he doesn't have very many of them. Or that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a place to put them. The truth is, he has so many of them that he can't cram them into his storage bin anymore. So here's what he decides he's going to do. Much like most of us would do. Verse 18, he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. What do we learn there? Exactly what we should, right? Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, this is what you've got to do. You've got to take all of that that God has given you and protect it, right? I mean, I mean, all of us agree with what's going on so far here. But verse 19 says this, and I will say to my soul. Now, I want you to notice the wording there because Jesus, this is a story, right? All of us know that Jesus spoke in parables a lot of times because we as people are oftentimes really ignorant. And Jesus could come right out and say, this is what you've got to do. But for the majority of us, we would go, okay, whatever. But when he would tell it in a story, they would be able to accept it and understand it better, right? So this is what he says. Being able to say anything in the world that he could, this is what he says. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. So Take your ease. Eat, drink, and what? Some of y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? You have so much stuff, soul, that now you get to take it easy. How many of us have a mindset that we are going to work so that later we can relax? You with me? Dave Ramsey has this great saying. He says, you've got to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. You with me? You've got to be the guy who saves. You've got to be the guy who pays off debt. You've got to be the guy who won't charge on credit cards. You've got to be the guy who does all of this 
unlike anyone else around you, so that later on in life, guess what? You get to live like no one else around you because you were the one who was disciplined, right? So this is the mindset that we have. So at this point, you can assume that the disciples are sitting around Christ's feet. There's been an argument about money in the background. Jesus starts to teach them all this stuff, and they're all sitting around his feet, and they're all going, yeah, that's right. Build a bigger barn. Shove it in there. Because later I do want to eat, drink, and be merry. But then something happens. Because then Jesus says this in verse 20. But God said to the man, you fool. Now, time out. Everything I've learned from a financial standpoint tells me that what this man is doing is exactly right. You with me? What he's doing is preparing for the future. Preparing to eat, drink, and be merry. But God looks at him and says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. What's Jesus saying? You are dead. Verse 21. Or I'm sorry, end of verse 20. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's what happens. Whenever we have more than what we need, whenever God blesses you abundantly is what we say a lot here at One Love Church, right? Whenever God blesses you abundantly, he gives to you more than what you need. And you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you realize that you have gotten more than what you need. For the first time in your life, God has given you more than what you need. Here's the assumption. The assumption is that the extra that God has given you is for your consumption. So now you begin to dream of better cars and bigger houses and swimming pools in the backyard and all the stuff that will make you happier. Now, listen, I'm not preaching against that this morning. I want you to have a swimming pool. I want you to have a nice car. I would love to ride in it and dive in it, right? I have a friend with a swimming pool. I love it. Go to his house and I swim in it. Will I ever have a pool? Probably not. I live in Ohio. I'm realistic. I only get to swim a couple weeks a year. But he's got one, so I'll go swim there for those two weeks, right? Here's what happens. You get more than what you need, and you begin to build up, what? A treasure for yourself. And so God comes along and he tells this man, you are a fool because now you are going to die and all of that that you have gained is going to go to somebody else. And not to I, who I have provided you to give it to. Here's the problem with greed. This is how greed works. A lot of us sit here today and we got bills to pay, right? You got phone, you know, your, your uh, cell phone bill to pay. It keeps adding up. Your cable bills, uh, your electric bills, your, your heating. You got to put gas in your car. If your car runs, if it doesn't run, then you got to fix your car. And all these things are stacking up on you. And that's for people who don't have kids. Right? Then add kids, and guess what happens? Take all that, multiply it by 20 per kid that you have. Right? You're all with me. You know what I'm talking about. And before you know it, there's not a lot left over. But what happens is, typically for most of us, as we get older in life, so does our 
paycheck, right? We mature, and so does our paycheck a little bit. And as we gain in life, what tends to happen is the more that we gain, the more that we consume. You with me? And we end up in this big cycle that we call greed. And not only do we call it greed, but Jesus calls it greed. So you have to start asking yourself, then what is it that Scripture expects from us? And I can take you to one more Scripture. But since we don't have slides, I'll just tell you about this morning, right? This really cool thing happened in the Old Testament, in in the days of Christ, and and even in the New Testament. And when we got into the modern-day church, we kind of changed it. And that is that there used to be these boxes in front of the synagogues or the churches these boxes that people would go to and put their tithe in, right? We got one right over there. Now, as the church matured, what we decided to do was, we're not getting enough money in those boxes, so now we're going to pass a plate all the way through the aisles and make sure that that plate gets in front of you, okay? But in Scripture times, this is how they did it. When Christ was walking the earth, this is how they did it. And here's why. And you're not going to like this, but this is the truth. People would sit around and watch what you put in the box. And you were on a social scale based on what you put in the box. Those of us who were rich, had more than what we needed, would walk up there and say, literally, would show, look at the money I'm putting in the box. Right? And it became this circus, this big fiasco, and people loved it. They would sit around the box, and they would watch people put money into the box. They would talk about it. They would, they would build a social ladder based on what you put in the box. Now, here's what happened. Jesus and the disciples, who are a part of the church, right, are also sitting around looking at the box. How do you imagine Jesus is feeling about the box right now? Not real good. Not real good. So what happens is, is all these people are being judged. People are putting money into the box. And then this old woman who has nothing walks up to the box. Does anybody want to guess what the conversation is now about the box? Oh, look at that lady. She's got nothing. She can't put anything in the box. Well, what does she do? She pulls out, Scripture tells us, two copper coins. She puts those copper coins into the box. Do you remember what Jesus says about the lady? Anybody? Somebody tell me. She gave the most. Why did she give the most? Because she had the least, right? So what is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about an instant gift or is he talking about a percentage? Uh Uh-oh. Percentage, right? What he's saying is, listen, for you rich people... It's easy for you to walk up here and drop $100 on the bill and knowing that the old lady coming behind you is only going to drop a couple copper coins, right? It's easy for you to walk up here. And for a lot of us, we say, listen, just because you got more money doesn't make it any easier to give it away. I agree with you, but do you know why that is? Because of greed. Those of us who are rich, which covers everyone in this room right now, you have enough to give away. You just don't want to do it. Your level of generosity may or may not. Now, you may be sitting here today, and you may be saying to yourself, listen, Pastor Brad, I've been giving 10% of my check since I became a Christian. Well, maybe that's not enough. 
Or for some of you, you may say to yourself, listen, I can't get to 10%, Pastor Brass, so I don't give anything. Well, here's my suggestion to you. That's not enough. Now, I also want to correct you in thinking this. I'm not just talking about the church. You with me? I'm not just talking about this box up here. I'm talking about generous living. Means you have to change your way of thinking about the money that you have stored up. Or the money that comes into you. Now there's three ways to do that. We're going to go through them real quick and then I'm going to give you what's going to be our project. And you're going to have a little secret that, you know, two-thirds of our church won't even know. So you can carry it around and go, I know what we're doing and you don't. Should have came out in the snow, huh? Here we go. Here's the first one. The first one is priority giving. Priority giving. This is the first way for you to battle the mindset that's been instilled in you, the greed mindset that's been instilled in all of us who are rich, right? The first way is priority giving. Do you know what it means to make something a priority? Do it first, right? It's the first thing that you do. In order for you to begin to battle that type of, of greediness inside of all of our spirits, and we all have it, don't sit there for a second and think that you don't. In order for us to battle that, priority giving is first and foremost. Which means this, you have to know that before you pay your bills, right, before you send money off to the cell phone company, before you pay for that cable, before you pay for your car, there is a priority over your bank account, and that priority is giving. Priority giving is oftentimes the hardest. Because in your mind, the responsibilities that you've already created trump anything else that you're going to give to. You with me? So what happens is you pay for everything in your life, and then you say, well, what do I have left over to give? And then, truthfully, if you're anything like me, then you go like this. And how much of that do I really need to give? Right? Most of us do it. So here's what happens. Priority giving reverses that cycle. Priority giving says this. Out of everything that God has given me, how much of that is a priority for me to give back? For me to give to the God who gave it to me first. Before I give to the Crocs of McDonald's, how much of it am I going to give back to God? Right? And that amount is a priority to me. I make it a priority in my life and I give it every time. It's the first thing I do when I get paid. We call that priority giving. Here's the second thing. The second thing is percentage giving. Mark 12, 43 through 44 says, Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she put in out of her poverty. You see what I'm saying? They all put in based on the extra that God gave to them. She put in based on all that God gave to her. It's a percentage gift. We call that percentage giving. In the church, our percentage is 10%. Right? 10% is what we teach. Why do we teach that? Because tithe, which is the, which is the word that Christ actually used, means tenth. Now, we also know in Scripture that tenth also means test. Right? In Scripture... Uh, 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 the Bible uses numbers to mean all different things. And 10 means test. And so what we often see here is that 
10% is the number that we use in the church. Your first 10% of what you have should go back to God, right? That's a percentage gift. But here's, here's a little more that I'm going to add to you. For most of us, and I do mean that because the numbers tell us that 98% of the church doesn't tithe, right? You give an offering, but you don't tithe because tithe is a percentage gift. 98% of the church doesn't do that. Now, imagine what would happen if 100% of the church actually tithed. What would happen to poverty in the world? Let's just be honest. Now, we, we can be arrogant and to think, well, if I gave more money to the church, what would happen? They'd just build bigger buildings. You're probably right. But here's what I'm going to suggest to you. We're curving the pattern now. For those of you who don't give based on a percentage, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Find one. Ten may not be good for you right now because you may say to yourself, listen, I want to do ten, but I've put myself in a budget lifestyle that there is no way I can do ten right now. Because the truth is they'd kick me out of my house if I did ten percent right now. I just can't do it. Here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Start with one. Or, or, or two. Or find a percentage that you can agree with God on and say, this is what I'm going to be giving back to you. You may not be ready for 10 yet, right? My wife and I, it took us a few years to get to 10. But what I'm going to suggest to you is find a percentage. And one of the ways you can do this is be a percentage giver. Here's the third way. Progressive giving. What is progressive giving? Progressive giving means this. You may be like me and have given 10% for 15 years, right? And, and, and you see the blessings in that and you understand what that means to be a 10% giver. You, you get that, right? But your uh, uh, monies have grown. And now 10% is not a test for you. It's not a sacrifice for you, right? What, what we call in, in progressive giving is you increase that number, or maybe you're a 2%er and you've been a 2%er for a long time. Well, guess what? Progress that number. That's called progressive giving, right? Because for a lot of us, we have secured a discipline in ourselves that we know that the 10% is what we do and we're able to do that, right? But God continues to give to us. But guess how much of our check we still give back? Only 10%, right? And my storehouses keep getting bigger and my grains keep getting more and more. You follow me? So here's what happens. Those three P's, priority, percentage, and progressive, will begin to develop a mindset that is contrary to the one that most of us are established with, to a mindset of greed. John Wesley once said this, when I have money, I give it away as quick as I can. I don't want it to find a place in my heart. Here's what I want to do as a church. Sam and I are going to put together, he doesn't even know this yet. Sam, wake up. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> Sam and I are going to find four nonprofit ministries, and we're going to put them over here on this table. And we're going to ask you over the next month to vote for which nonprofit ministry you want to bless as a church. And then here's what we're going to do we're going to raise $5,000 as a church and give it in one of our visits by a surprise, to that nonprofit ministry. And here's why we're going to do it. We're going to do it as a church because we really need that $5,000. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Our tithe right now, church is a miracle we keep the doors open. But we do praise God. He continues to provide, and thank you for that. 
because that's because of you. But here's what I'm going to suggest. That we step out as a church together, as a family of God, and we do this. We bless someone who's been working really hard. For those of you who don't know, these nonprofit ministries that are out there, like House of Bread, like the Ronald McDonald House, like Habitat for Humanity, you know, all these others. And we can find, you know, more like House of Bread that aren't national ones, but are just here in Dayton. House of Bread is close to my heart. That's what I'm voting for. That's what you should vote for. But you can vote for whatever you want, right? Here's what that lady does. Her name is Melody. She wakes up every morning and she goes to that kitchen. She prays that the volunteers who have said they were going to be there actually show up. Half the time they do. When they get there, they call themselves chefs. But they're just like you and I. They know how to cook a hot dog and maybe warm bread. That's about it. And they begin to put together this amazing feast. Like you wouldn't believe. If you haven't gone to work at House of Bread, you have to go work at House of Bread. Sam just put together, what, six dates, four dates? For us next year to go to House of Bread. One of those dates, we're going to show up and we're going to bless this sweet woman who feeds thousands of homeless people in Dayton every single year, almost by herself. We're going to give her, maybe, if that's the one you vote for, a check for $5,000. And let me tell you why she's going to blow a gasket when we do that. Because churches don't do that. You with me? What we do when we get money is we say, oh, now we will have a food pantry. And you come to us, and we'll give you about 10 cans of food. Now, that's great. I'm not, I know know it sounds like I'm blasting that. I'm really not. Here's what I would rather do. Find the people who are going into the city and invest in them. Right? Find the people who are going to where the homeless are and invest in them. And that's what we're going to do as a church. And here's what I believe. I'm a percentage giver in this church. And God has blessed me more than he'll ever bless you. I'm telling you right now, it's not fair. He likes me more than you. It's just that way. But here's what's going to happen. When we invest in that soup pantry or whatever we're going to invest in, God will bless us abundantly. I promise you, it happens. He provides for those who provide for. It's what happens, right? Will you stay with me? So here's what I want you to do. Sam and I are a little biased, and I'm going to speak for him, okay? I'm going to speak for him right now. You can ask him after church whether or not it's true. Sam loves House of Bread. I'm going to tell you right now, he does. And I love House of Bread. But there are a lot of House of Breads in Dayton. And most of them we don't know about. Maybe you do. Uh, I have a good friend. Uh, Her name is Krista. She lives in Beaver Creek. And she works about once a month with an organization called the Shoes for the Shoeless. How many of you have heard of Shoes for the Shoeless? Yeah. That's one of those I'm talking about. If you have an idea of an organization that you think our contribution should go to, I want you to drop it into the tithe box. Right? We're going to look it up, you know. And if it ends up being, you know, like Isaiah's house for the needy, we're not giving Isaiah $5,000, right? We're going to look it up. We're going to investigate, find out if it's legitimate. And, and then we're going to hold a vote as a church, and we're going to raise $5,000 as a church on top of all the other outreaches that we're doing, and there's a lot of them coming up. We're going to raise $5,000 as a church, and then a group of you 
are going to go to House of Bread or wherever we're going to donate it to, House of Bread. And, <clears throat> and you're going to walk in the door and you're going to give them one of them big checks from One Love Church. And I can't wait for that moment. Do you know why? Because it doesn't really have anything to do with you. I want to see Melody's face when you do it. I want to see what it feels like when God invests in you. When God points you out and says, I have made you a priority. And I have raised up a little church in Hubert Heights, Ohio, who's going to invest in you because I've told them to. No other reason. We don't want anything from you. We don't want you to put our name on your building or wear a t-shirt that says One Love Church. We make our own people do that enough. But here's the truth. We want you to feel worthy that God has called you. And we want to invest in you to make sure that you're there tomorrow. That's all this is about. I want you to go home, pray, and investigate. I want you to look at One Love Church. And what is our vision? What is really our mission? And understand that God has blessed us abundantly. Church, do you realize that? Look around you right now. There's not a whole lot of us here. But for some reason, God continues to pour into us and to invest in us. And I don't know what that's for, and I don't know where God's taking us, but I know this. We're not going to keep storing up those grains in bigger storehouses. We're going to invest those into people who are doing what God has called them to do. And I cannot wait.